I hope you've been keeping up on the reading. Huh? Of course? Good. There was, uh, in this week's reading, there was much rich, rich material to choose from, and I was beside myself. People were betting that I was going to teach out of Romans this week. The first 11 chapters are there. However, I fooled you. I'm going to teach out of 2 Corinthians. So if you have your daily Bibles, it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, December 4th and 5th. We look at chapter 8 and chapter 9, the first half of chapter 8, the second half of chapter 9. And if you're familiar at all with these passages, you know that these passages speak about the topic of giving, and most particularly the giving of money. However, I'm not going to talk about that. I do want to talk about giving. I want to talk about us being giving people, gracious people, generous people. And I just limit it only to the issue of money, but with every area of our life that we be giving people, that we be the first to give a smile, the first to bring a kind word, the first to bless, the first to jump in the gap and bring some aid and some help and some comfort where it's needed, that we be giving people. As Christians, as people being conformed to the image of Christ, If this is true of us, and if we are to look more and more like Christ every day, responding to the work of God in our life by the Holy Spirit, then we ought to be seeing the fruit of that work, and part of the fruit of that work is that we see what? Graciousness. That we be people who are marked by this characteristic of generosity. That we be more and more and more generous, more and more and more giving. The way of Jesus... The way of Jesus is characterized by giving. Jesus gave. Jesus gave. If you read the gospel accounts, there was no limit to his giving. Didn't complain. Didn't hold back. He always gave. And so if we are to be like him, then giving should be reflected in our life, should it not? Now, if God is working in our life to produce this, he calls us to participate and respond by embracing the whole theme, the whole reality of giving. Now, I think it's important for us to understand that giving is a principle. Being a giving and generous person means that there's a principle at work in my life. If I were to ask you, If I were to set you down and say, now explain to me your philosophy of life. Explain to me what your philosophy of life is and explain to me the basis upon which you have built that philosophy. What principles have you built your life on? Most people would be hard-pressed to be able to express those principles and that philosophy in a clear, concise fashion to frame those things in words and hand them to you. Most people are hard-pressed to do that. Most people have never sat down and written out a philosophy of life. Most people don't have a mission statement for their life. And that's the reason, largely, why people's lives are all over the map. Why when they're afraid of making decisions. Because the guiding principles are not in place or if, if they believe in principles, they have not made the decision to let those principles dictate the direction of their life. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. One of those principles, there's many, but one of them, and I want to talk about that this morning, is the principle of being a giving person. I am committed unalterably to being a giving person. Now that settles a whole lot of problems for me, doesn't it? When issues come up of whether I should give or not give, what am I going to do? I'm going to give. I'm not going to obsess back and forth. I'm not going to be double-minded. I'm not going to worry and fret, oh, should I do this? Should I not do it? Should I do it? I've already made the decision I'm a giving person. I'm not going to wait to be asked. I'm not going to wait for for someone else to give to me first. I am a giving person. My life is governed by that principle. Can we all say that? When my wife needs my love and attention and affection, 
when I'm watching the Super Bowl? <laughs> Am I a giving husband? When my son wants and needs my attention for some issue that he's wanting to talk about and I'm busy doing what I want to do, am I going to be a giving person? You, you get the feeling? You get to get, get handle on what I'm saying? But it's see if I'm committed unalterably to the principle of being a giving person. That when I see the need, I've already made the decision ahead of time, I'm going to give. It's a foregone conclusion. It just remains for me to implement that decision. It remains for me just to do it. So it's a principle. And I would encourage each and every one, if you haven't already, sit down and write out your own personal mission statement for your life. What am I all about? What have I based my life on? And it may require a significant measure of thought and prayer and meditation and so forth, but put something down on paper. Put something down on paper and say, this is what I stand for. These are the principles I live my life by. Righteousness. Kindness. Mercy. Giving. And as you identify who you are and you make a commitment to those principles, you're going to find your life is going to be a whole lot more simple. And you're going to experience a whole lot more joy. A whole lot more fulfillment. If you, in fact, implement those principles in your life. Giving. John chapter 3, verse 16. John records that God so loved the world. How did God express his love? He gave. What did he give? He gave his very best. When you care enough, send the very best. God sent the very best. He loved the world. He didn't just say, well, I love you, trust me. I love you. I love you. I told you last week I loved you. <laughs> Heard a husband tell his wife that. She said, do you love me? Yes, I love you. I told you last week. <laughs> How callous. God so loved that he what? He gave. He what? gave the essence of being godlike is love put into action giving giving if we're to be more like god more like jesus then we ought to see this thing being more and more and more clearly reflected in life giving giving i'm a giving person i'm a giving person yeah yeah but where's the limit <laughs> You're not a giving person if you ask that question. There is no limit. And we'll see this in just a little bit. We look into our passage. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38. I love this verse. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus instructs his disciples, instructs us. He says what? Who knows the verse? Luke 6, 38. Who knows the verse? Oh, come on. Frank, just holler it out. That's right. Now, look what he says. Jesus says, give. Give. He talks to us about taking the initiative, that we step out first, take the initiative, and give. And don't worry about yourself. It'll be given to you. You'll be taken care of. You're going to find that if you are known as a giving person, if you have a reputation, the visibility, not only to men, but to God, that you are a giving person, God's going to see to it that it's poured back into your life. Amen. It's poured back into your life. Giving. Give. And it shall be given. And not meagerly, he says, pour it out into your laps. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Wow, the picture of abundance. Be a giving person. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, wonderful, wonderful statement by our Lord. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, who knows that verse? I know, we haven't been in the book of Acts very long. Come on. 
It is more blessed It is more blessed to receive than to give. Wait a minute. It is more blessed to receive than to give. Yes, it is. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you right here and now. Give them the choice. What's your name, sir? David. David? I'm Zach. Nice to meet you, David. Is your first time with us? Uh, no, I've been here about a year ago. A year ago, huh? Oh, welcome back. David, question. If you had your choice, if you had your choice now, would you rather give me $1,000 cold cash right now or have me give you $1,000 cold cash? You'd like me to give you the $1,000 cold cash. It is more blessed to receive than to give. I just proved it. And everybody in this room can agree, right? Now, as we mature, as we mature, we begin to understand. You see, we still operate substantially, pretty substantially, and these are, this is a little testimony to that reality. We operate pretty substantially with still a lot of fleshly mentality, fleshly attitudes. Gimme, gimme, gimme. I want, I want. What about me? But as we mature, as we become more like Christ, as we embrace and build our life on these principles, we begin to find that it is more blessed to give than to receive. It really is. Because you see, our life gets enlarged. If we're always just into getting, if we're always looking to see what we can get, we just stay small, withdrawn, selfish, myopic, you name the, the adjective. But as we begin to step out by faith and embrace the principle of being a giving person, very intentional, very deliberately, you get up in the morning and you rehearse the reality, I am a giving person and I'm going to give to people today. I'm going to give my life away. I'm going to give a smile. I'm going to give a kind word. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to embrace them. How many read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie? I read that years ago. Great book. Dale Carnegie understood this. He said, everybody you encounter, smile at them. Everybody you encounter, say a nice word. Greet them. Hi, how are you? It's nice to see you today. Ah, wonderful. It's good to see you today. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to have you here today. Good to see you. Good. Warner, good to see you today. Oh, yes. Hank, nice to see you. Rick, good to see you this morning. God bless you. Isn't this wonderful? Isn't this wonderful? And, and, and as you do more and more of that, you find your life being enlarged and enlarged and enlarged. And then it becomes a real joy. It becomes a real blessing to give. And then that, that, that attitude of giving expands in your life in terms of other areas. That people you have a hard time giving to, you now are growing in your expertise to be giving and you find yourself giving to people you have a hard time giving to. Being gracious with those people. Oh man, you can't hurt. You lay in bed at night and you just can't believe what you did that day. And then it extends to other areas. It begins to extend then into the material realm and you find yourself giving away stuff. You say, something's happened to me. Yeah, you believed. And then you really begin to experience, as you mature, as you live these principles out more and more, you begin to experience the reality of what Jesus says. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It ceases to be a platitude. And it becomes a reality. Now, if you'd like me to give you $1,000, come up after the service. What has God given you by His grace that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, didn't qualify for? What has God given you by His grace? Everything. That's right. Everything. Our very next breath. 
is an expression of his grace. The rain, an expression of his grace. The fact that we can meet in this building without the police coming in, without the threat, yet. You don't laugh. Without the threat yet of being dragged off, imprisoned, and or murdered. It's coming. It's already here. God's grace. He's given us everything. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't qualify it. It's by His grace that we were, very, that we were born. <coughs> by His grace that we're reborn. By His grace that we can walk. That we can talk. By His grace that we have this book. This book. Oh. I don't know what I'd do without this book. I don't know what I'd do without this book. Over my life, I've read thousands of books. This is the best book. By His grace, He's opened my eyes. And the book's been around for thousands of years. (laughs) But by His grace, He opened my eyes to let me read it and understand it. Marvel at the words, at the thoughts, at the realities, at the concepts. The understanding of who He is. By His grace. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. It's in the first 15 verses that Paul appeals to the Corinthians to be gracious, to be generous. Now he's speaking to them specifically about money because he's taking up a collection. The collection is from all the Gentile churches to meet the need of the Jewish church down in Jerusalem, which is impoverished. What better way to overcome the differences culturally between Jew and Gentile that existed, and what better way to cement Jewish and Gentile believers, what better way could there be than to have one or the other giving money? (laughs) Awesome. But I want to expand, not just talk about money, I want to talk about, as we've said already, about a giving spirit, being a giving person. Now Paul, in this section, points to five things. He uses five arguments to move the Corinthians into a place where they, in fact, will engage this principle of giving. Now, the first thing he does is he points to the example of others. I mean, this is where testimonials come in. Testimonies are always encouraging to us, aren't they? People tell us what their experience has been, and we listen with rapt attention at the testimony, and we say, wow, wow, if it could be true for that person, maybe it could be true for me. And so Paul points to the testimony of the Macedonians. And I want you to read this. This is just exciting. This is absolutely exciting. He says, now brothers, we want you to know, now I want you to notice this next word, the grace. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now all that the Macedonians are able to do, God enables them to do it. I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonians. Now this this is applicable for us. Because all that God has been able to do for the Macedonians, He's able to do for the Corinthians, He's able to do for you and I. I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial. He says their overwhelming joy, overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now the Macedonians were dirt poor people. I mean, they were poor, poor people. And yet, Paul describing them to the Corinthians who were relatively rich. Corinth was a major center of trade in the ancient world. And he points to the Macedonians and he says, man, these people were dirt poor, but their joy was just unstoppable. Their poverty was overwhelming. And yet, both of these things combined 
to well up in rich generosity. <coughs> he says, I testify. Now look at this. I testify that they gave as much as they were able. I've given as much as I can give. I can't give anymore. I'm at my limit. You ever thought that? You ever thought you've exhausted all your resources? That's it. I can't give anymore. I quit. I'm out of here. Right? Burned out. I'm exhausted. True? Everybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. They gave as much as they were able. And what's the next phrase? And beyond their ability. How can somebody give beyond their ability? How can somebody give beyond their ability? God. Go back to verse 1. What does he say? I want you to know about the what? The grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. <laughs> it's exciting. I love to use that passage when people tell me I've had it. I've had it. I can't handle any more. I've given all I'm going to give. I'm not giving any more. <laughs> I say, oh. And I point to Warner. I say, you see that man over there? See that man over there? He's given. He's given beyond his ability to give. He's given beyond his ability to give. You know why? You know why? Because he first gave himself to God. Well, I believe in God. Yes, but you've given yourself to God. There's a big difference between believing in God and giving yourself to him. Once you give yourself to God, there's no more limits. And even when you reach the, the limit of your own endurance that you feel, God is still there to pour more into you. So that you are, in fact, moving supernaturally. You are giving beyond your ability to give. Right? Dan, you know about that, right? Giving to your wife, Rose? He knows that. He told me one day, he says, I've given, I've given, you don't know what I've given to that woman. <laughs> But, but he said to me, he said to me, it's a pleasure. It's a joy. He said, God has shown me that as I give myself to him more and more, God gives me more and more to give to my wife, Rose. Isn't that exciting? What's your name? Sergio. Sergio, nice to meet you, Sergio. I'm Zach. You got to meet Dan. Good man. <laughs> See, that's the exciting Christian life. That's the Christian life that really moves you, man. You can't hardly wait to get out of bed in the morning. You're going, oh, man, God, what are we doing today? You get out of bed that way in the morning, you say, God, what are we doing today? You have an attitude that you are given to him and that you're a partner with him and all that he's doing and, and you can hardly wait to get up in the morning. Whoo, okay, here we go again. <laughs> I mean, that removes your Christian life out of the mundane, everyday, boring, ho-hum, ho-hum, ho-hum routine. That moves it into, into, into a time of excitement. You learn to live on what I call the knife edge of faith, moment by moment, going, whoa, here we go. <laughs> but you got to first give yourself to God. Because if you don't give yourself to God first, you can't give yourself to others, and you will be limited, and you will draw the line, and you will say, enough is enough. And your life will be absolutely frustrating. I promise you. I promise you. Absolutely frustrating. Well, he goes on from the looking at the example there of the Macedonians, and he points, the second argument he uses, he points to their own past record, the past record now of the Corinthians. And he says to them, he says, look, you guys excel in everything. You excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us. See also that you don't fall behind in this area of giving. It's easy to excel in other things that bring attention to us. Right? Knowledge, speech, 
you talk good, you have a lot of knowledge, smart guy, all that stuff. But it's a whole other thing to excel in what? Giving. Sacrificially. He says, don't, you're good in all these other things. Don't lag behind. Don't let this area fall short. Be complete. Be complete. The third uh, argument he points to is uh, the example of Jesus himself. This is powerful. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus was rich. What does he mean? Well, he's in heaven. It all his godly prerogatives, all the power and the glory and the worship and everything. Intimate fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. But he set aside all that. He set it aside, put off the robes of glory, clothed himself with human flesh, came down, lived on this earth, suffered our indignities, humbled himself to the point of death, even the death on a cross, which is the at that particular point in history, was the, the lowest of the low. It was the lowest way, the death of a common, vile criminal. Most humiliating. Though he was rich, he became poor. Now, why did he become poor? Why? So that we who were poor, we who had nothing, we who had no hope, could become what? Rich. Rich with life, rich with hope. Rich. Jesus. He says, look at the Macedonian example. Look at your own life. You excel in all these other things. Look at the example of Jesus. Giving. Giving. The fourth argument he points to, or rather he stresses now, the necessity, this is important, of putting good intentions into action. <laughs> There's an old saying, the road of life is littered with good intentions. Oh, I meant to. Oh, I meant to. Chris taught you last week about used-to-be's and wannabe's. You know, we used to be. Some of us still want to be falling short. The tragedy of life is not that we don't have high aspirations, not that we don't have good intentions. We have lots of great intentions. The tragedy of life is that we fail most often to put those ten intentions into practice, to act on them. Last time you were in prayer, so-and-so comes across your mind, you're thinking about them. You say, oh, i got to call that person. I want to drop them a note in the mail. I want to stop over and see him. I want to visit with him. I want to... But you just never got around to it. <laughs> Good intention. Well-intentioned. But just didn't quite get around to doing it. And that's exactly what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, you're well-intentioned. Look at... He says, last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Wonderful. He says, now finish the work. <laughs> yeah, they kind of slacked off. Good intentions, but they hadn't brought it about fully. He says, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. If you have the intention, get with it. Be a giver. Be a giver. And lastly, the fifth point he, thinks, he points out to them is he reminds them that life has this Incredible um, way of evening things up. There's a saying, was it? Go, what comes around goes around. Is that how it goes? What goes around comes around. I can never keep that one straight. Life has this way of evening things up. And he points to that here in the last paragraph of the section. He says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed. Paul's not saying, he's saying, I don't mean for you to be out on a limb and, and with nothing just to relieve somebody else. He says, no, there's much more to it than that. He says, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. 
so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Now when you're a giving person, you find if you believe that there's a sovereign God who is in charge and who does oversee these things, you find that when you're a giving person and you're reaching out and ministering and giving in various needs as God gives you visibility of these needs, that as you seek less and less and less to be concerned about your security and your needs, as you give, God, who sees all, will make sure that when when you find yourself in need, that he brings somebody from over here and meets your need. He has a way of evening things up. It's great. Frees us up. Oh, okay. Hallelujah. That exciting? You excited about that? I can tell. You're thrilled to death. (laughs) Look over at chapter 9. So we've looked at Paul's appeal for generosity. Now we want to look at his assurances of generosity. He's made the appeal and he says, let me tell you, let me give you assurances here. Let me give you some principles of what it means to be generous. There's three of them. Three principles. These are wonderful. In fact, he opens the passage in verse 6 with these two words. Remember this. In other words, keep this in the forefront of your thinking. Don't forget it. Remember this. Here comes principle number one. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Principle number one. Is that simple enough? Sure. Absolutely. We know that from life. Paul is insisting that no person was ever the loser because he or she was generous. No person was ever the loser because he or she was generous. If you're going to give, give generously. Be known as a gracious, generous, giving person. Be willing to be the first to reach out and, and give a smile. Bring some warmth. A kind comment. Some tangible help if necessary. And do it generously, not meagerly. Because as you sow, so shall you reap. That's the first principle. It's like a law. It's like it's a law like like, like the law of gravity. It works. You can depend how many believe in the law of gravity? How many trust the law of gravity? Trust in the law of sowing and reaping also. Trust in that law. The second law, the second principle about (laughs) generosity, this is great. What do you think the second principle would be? Huh? Anybody read the passage? What's the second principle? Ooh, that's good. Yes. God loves a crabby giver. God doesn't mean for us to give under compulsion. He doesn't want to twist our arms and make us be giving people. He wants us to understand that this is the way we should go. If we're like him. Paul insists that it is the happy giver, the cheerful giver. The Greek word literally is hilarion, from which we get the English word hilarious. God loves hilarious givers. Hilarious givers. When you learn the secret of giving, you'll be hilarious. I promise you. Your life will be so full of joy, you can't hardly stand it. And there's nothing that tickles God's heart more than to see a hilarious giver. Someone who enjoys giving. Someone who has gotten a hold of the secret of being generous. Generous. Not someone who's always holding back. Someone who's getting even. Well, I'm not going to smile at you. You didn't smile at me. Generous. 
Hilarious. Oh, it's hysterical. You go crazy. You just, people think you're nuts. They say, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you look what you're doing? Do you understand what you're doing? Yes. Why are you doing it? I can't help myself. I love being hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Hilarious giving. As you grow in this grace of giving, and again, it's not, it's not under compulsion. You don't contest it. All right, I'll give. All right, if you want me to, okay, I'll do it. I, I don't like it, though. I want you to know I'm going on record. Just to tell you, I'll, I'll to like it. Man, don't do it. Go crawl back in your hole and be an old, an old Grinch. Don't be hanging around here. We don't need your kind of joy. Here's the third principle. The third principle, Paul insists, and this is glorious, Paul insists that God provides everything. He provides it all. So you have an understanding, be generous. The more generous you are and the more you give yourself to that process because you've first given yourself to God, you're going to find yourself being hilarious. It's going to be exciting life, exciting life. And then you have the whole huge big safety net of the third principle, and that is this. He says, and God is able, by the way, God is able to make, how much grace? All grace. How does it come to you? Through an eyedropper? Does he meet it out just in a little eyedropper? No. God is able to make all grace, now look at this, abound to you. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, you will have all that you need for every good work. Ooh, man. God, I see this need over here. God, I see this need. God, can we meet this need? What does God say? Of course. Sure we can. Let's do it. I go do it. But you'll not do it unless you have the absolute utter confidence of knowing that God is able. Well, listen, I hear what you're saying. I hear that God is able. But you know what? I've not experienced it. I don't seem to have all those resources that I need. Who would agree? Who, would, who, would, who could relate to that? Ah, good, a couple truthful people. <laughs> you know what God's looking for? God is able. There's no deficiency in God. You know where the deficiency lies? This weak, weak in faith person. God is able. I will stake my life on it. I will stake my life on it. Paul says, let every man be a liar. Let God be true. That word is true. That book is true. God is able to make all grace abound to you and I, abound to us. So that in all things, at all times, all of our needs are going to be met so that what? We can do every good thing. But what's God looking for? He's looking for people who trust him. He's looking for people who believe him. He's looking for people whose hearts are fully his. That's what he's looking for. You say, well, but I'm, I'm just brand new. I'm just brand new. You got to give me some time. Take all the time you want. You're the one that's losing. It doesn't hardly do anything for us to, to make a decision to trust God, to turn our hearts towards Him. And say, Lord, you pour your resources through me. You're able. You're able. You're able. You're able. So He looks for a faithful heart. 
a faithful heart. He says, oh, do I have this faithful heart? Do I have this man? Dan Center, whose heart is mine, that I can make all grace abound to him. God looks at Dan's heart. He says, I have that man's heart. And I know he's a faithful man. I know he's a trustworthy man. I see him faithful in the little things. I can trust him with greater things. Able. We don't need to doubt him, his ability, his willingness. He's able. He's got to trust him. God, I'm going to be a giving person. He concludes this whole passage. We won't read it. You read it on your own, but let me tell you what he says. The results of being a good, generous person... Three things, three results. Being a generous person. Verses 10 through 15. He says, the first thing is other people's lives are enriched. Other people get blessed when we're giving. Second thing is that God gets praised and thanked. And the third thing is we get loved and prayed for. (laughs) Everybody wins! Everybody wins when we purpose in our heart to be giving, gracious, generous people. Everybody wins. Just the opposite is true when we choose not to be gracious, generous, giving people. When we choose not to give, other people's lives are not enriched. God is not praised and thanked. And we're not loved and prayed for. Real simple. Nobody wins. Nobody wins. That's the result. But... We make the decision, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Now, I want to conclude with this, and then we'll prepare for communion. Here's the question. I, I neglected to put this on your notes. I want you to write it on your notes right now. And I want you to meditate on this and deal with this question. Ready? Got your pencils ready? Here we go. Here's the question. Is... There any room for improvement in my life? Is there any room for improvement in my life? And if there is, in what areas do I need to practice a greater degree of generosity and graciousness? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are gracious beyond measure. Thank you, Lord, that you are working in us, building into us these great and wonderful principles and truths. Help us, O Lord. Help us this morning, especially as we come to your communion table. Nourish us. Lord, in those areas that we reflect on right now where we have fallen short, where there is room for improvement, Lord, that we would make it a principle of our life that we will begin to become generous and gracious people in every area. Search our hearts, O God, and show us where those hurtful and short ways are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you this morning. Help us, O God. Amen. Yeshua. Yeshua. Jesus in Hebrew. What a beautiful name. It's the name above every name and 
there is no other name given to us by which we must be saved. Jesus. It's in his death and his resurrection that we find our hope and our joy. Every man is a sinner. Every man falls short. People don't like to talk about sin. They don't like to talk about judgment, retribution, punishment. But those are very real issues, and they have to be addressed. And God addressed them. He addressed them powerfully in the cross where Jesus died on our behalf. He saved us from the fires of hell. He saved us to remake us into a people fit for relationship, able to enjoy fellowship, able to bear the image of our Creator God, our Heavenly Father. All of it is bound up in the person of Jesus. We could never say enough about him. We could never describe him enough. We could never praise him enough and thank him enough. He told us, remember me. Remember me. He says, and often proclaim my death until I come. And that's what we're doing now. We take these elements, we eat this piece of cracker, we drink this little cup of juice. That simple exercise speaks of enormous realities. Jesus' body and blood is very life given for us that we might be free. It is always a, a source of amazement to me how people could turn down Jesus. They turn down life abundant and life everlasting. They turn down forgiveness of sins. But I remember back when I turned it down, when I mocked Jesus. And I said, I don't need Jesus. I'm okay. When I live the lie. I realize now that I was blind. But now I see. I believe in Jesus. And I believe that he died for me. I believe that all my sins are forgiven. I believe that all my guilt has been dealt with. I believe that there's no condemnation to me. Though I still sin, I know that I, I can go to him and I can confess my sin, and he is still faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. I am confident in Jesus. He has blessed my life. He is my Savior. He's my everything. I love Him. I worship Him. He's my best friend. He's my Lord, my Master. Jesus, Yeshua. He said, this is my body. He gave bread to his disciples and he blessed it. He distributed it amongst them. He said, eat of this. It's my body. A metaphor for saying, just as bread nourishes you physically, I am the bread of life. I will nourish you. I'll supply you. Take me into you. Depend on me. Shall we eat the bread?
Lord, as we eat this bread, we are professing to you and all around in this room that we are dependent on you. We are dependent on you. We trust you. You sustain us. You nourish us. He took the cup and he blessed it also and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Beloved, we have been washed clean. Beloved, I want you to know, I want you to have the confidence that Jesus took the test and Jesus passed the test and Jesus got the A for us. He got the A for us. The A is already on our report card. It's printed there in indelible ink. A. A plus. I passed in Christ. He gave his life that I might have an A, that I might have the A, Jesus. Jesus, I toast you. I bless your name and I give you thanks this morning. I worship you. You are a great God. You are worthy. Bless your holy name. We remember you and we give you thanks. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb.